Okay, we're getting a new series today about the family. Home design is what we call the series. And I don't believe there's any organization on the earth that's more important than the family. The church is really important, but God created the family before he created the church. You know that? The first thing he created was a family. Mark Roberts uh, in Life for Leaders writes, There have been times in my life when I've wondered if I failed to accomplish what God intended for me in my professional life. I've worried that I've not lived up to my potential. I judge myself for not having written more books, preached better sermons, or led more influential institutions. But upon reflection, I realize that one of the, the reasons that I've been less productive in my work is that I've invested much of my life in the last 20 years in my fruit, that is, my children. I've spent countless hours with them, taking them to the park, reading chapter books, advising them with school projects, or just hanging out. Parenting is not incidental to my primary purpose in life. It isn't in conflict with my work, rather it is part of my work. Family life is essential to the measure of my fruitfulness in life. In 1987, Harvard professor James Q. Wilson and Richard Hermstein, in their book, Crime and Human Nature, determined that the cause of crime is a lack of proper moral training among young people during the morally formative years, particularly ages one to six. We are determined in the next year and two years to do a better job. And not that, we, not that I think we've done an awful job, but we want to do a better job of coming alongside the family and equip, equipping you as parents to disciple your children and help them to live healthy lives, good lives, and lives that they never, ever walk away from Christ. Proverbs 24.3 says, By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. I want to go to Joshua chapter 4, and I want to describe a time um, after Israel has gone into this new land. You know the story of Israel. Bondage of Egypt's bondage led into the wilderness and then into their new land, the land of Palestine. And after the land had been all divided and they had all scattered and they had all established how different families would inhabit different parts of the land and would be, have that responsibility. After everything had been put in order, Joshua, their leader, says this to the people, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors' worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. What Joshua, the successor of Moses, is laying out for us in Joshua chapter 24 is the design of a foundation for a successful family, a successful society, in fact. He was a national leader. And so he was, he was advocating this as the way to organize our country. This is the way to organize our society in a successful way. We're going we're gonna to see you as part of families and we're going, to, we're going to strongly, strongly advocate that 
you serve the Lord and you insist that your family serve the Lord. That's the way to have a great culture and a great society. That's what, that's what he believed. Uh, I'm, I, you know, I'm not going to focus on the culture so much or society, not that I'm opposed to that. It's just not what I feel like I'm led to do right now. Jesus said, I will build my church. True, great cultural reform does have its genesis in the church, but according to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17, it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. It's time for the church to huddle up. You know, today when you watch those NFL football games, almost before every play, unless they're doing a hurry-up offense, they're going to huddle up. And so this is a time in, in, in society when the church needs to huddle up. We need to huddle up and decide what our identity is. Decide what we're going to be. And that way when we turn around and go out to the world and we go out to the culture, we have our identity firmly established. Amen? Amen? We love the world. And, and I want to talk about that later. I want to get to that later about our relationship with culture, our relationship with society. We are part of it. We're not, we're not aliens and not a part of the culture. We are part, uh, very much a part of the culture. But we do not... We do not look to the culture for our identity. We look to heaven for our identity. Amen. Amen? The most interesting design conversation, is, of course, is about the layout, the lighting, the mood. I mean, I was with my son the other day, and I think he did a 20-minute rant on the importance of lighting. He loves lighting. That, 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 he's part of the reason we did our lighting before we put in a sound system. <laughs> it was like, I don't care what it sounds like. It's got to look good, you know? So those are very interesting conversations about um, design of, uh, of, uh, of uh, lighting, layout, mood, decor. But great layout, great lighting, great mood, great decor conversations are pointless without a well-designed foundation. So, so that's where we're going to start today. I, I, you know, I've watched some Christian parents try to impose a biblical design on a non-biblical foundation. Uh, you know, the family devotions, uh, going to church, all kinds of design things that they try to put on a foundation that is not biblical. We'll talk more about the design of things like, like schedule, relational roles, focus, focus that we should have, our response to the culture, the tone that you set in your home, the conversations you have. We're going to talk about all those things in the next three weeks. But first, let's talk about the elements of a firm foundation for a Christian home. I want to break down those elements of this foundation of a great Christian home on three principles that I find in Joshua chapter 24. The first principle that I find in, John, in Joshua chapter 24 is the principle of personal responsibility. Joshua says, as for me and my house, I don't know about the rest of you, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua 24, 15. You see, Joshua did something that maybe you're, you'll be a bit uncomfortable with. And I understand why. He did something. He respected his God-given personal power. I understand that's difficult. An unhappy child, an angry spouse, or a fearful spouse can be very intimidating. 
for you to say, we're going to serve the Lord. It, it can take courage to take a stand for God's ways and principles inside your own family. And, and, and another thing, guys, we're not living in Joshua's culture. We're, we're not living in a culture that views authority the way they did in the Old Testament, especially male authority. We're, we're just not living in that culture, so to pretend we are is foolish and we're dealing with sensitivities to authority. We're dealing with sensitivities to identity that, uh, that Joshua's culture didn't have to deal with. Now, they had to deal with other things. And they certainly had to deal with a pagan world. Teddy Roosevelt said, walk softly and carry a big stick. And um, I don't recommend carrying a big stick around your house. Uh, <laughs> I do recommend walking softly and always speak the truth. We haven't said enough about that. Speaking truth is so important. Here's what you do. You can start reclaiming your family for Christ today by believing that your proclamations have power. And what you say has power. Begin, you know, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. What's, Jesus said, you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast in the sea. And you will have whatsoever you say. I, I want to challenge you, and I know this is frightening for you, especially if, you, if you've been bullied into a corner where God's principles are concerned. I want to challenge you to begin to believe that what you say will come to pass. Yeah. Amen? I want to challenge you that what you say will come to pass. So Joshua modeled a belief in his own personal power. I really love that idea. I love that idea that God has put within me. He said, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat the fruit thereof. God has, God has empowered me so that when I be, what I begin to speak begins to be created. God spoke the world into existence. He set the pattern beginning that when you look at chaos, and, and if, even if that chaos is in your own household, you begin by speaking differently. Amen. You begin by speaking order into existence. Amen. Even when you don't know how in the world it could ever happen. Change your speech and you will change your life. Amen. The other thing that Joshua modeled that I love was resolve. He did not say, please pray that my family will serve the Lord. I, I hope. I, I just wish they would. It's my preference. I, I, can't speak for, I can't speak for my wife. I can't speak for my kids. But I'm going to serve the Lord. No, no. He said, no, me and my house. We're going to serve the Lord. I, I think that, and, and I, I want to be very, very careful here and I don't think maybe at times uh, I have not been as careful because I'm I am blessed with three children who serve the Lord and love the Lord and I'm blessed with a wife that serves the Lord and uh, never do I want you to feel that I come to you with some sort of arrogance about that because uh, uh, I can tell you some things we didn't do right I can tell you some mistakes that we made but I, every once in a while, it's helpful, I think, for you to point out a couple of things we did that I recommend. And that, that is the one thing that, and, and fortunately, Sherry and I are on the same page. We're really on the same page about this. And that, I think, if you wanted to look at the McCutcheon family and say, what can I learn from them? And, 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 and we should all be humble enough to learn from one another. 
What's this deal that we have to dislike people? You know, and I think that's a cultural thing today. I think that's something wrong that's happening in our culture. Is, is that if somebody is blessed or, or they, they, they are so successful at something, we, we have to be suspicious. If somebody has something, they stole it. That is a rotten philosophy that's permeating certain parts of our culture today. And so we're not learning from one another. So let's learn from one another. I want to learn from you. I want you to learn from me. And so, so one of the things that Sherry and I, uh, we talked about this even when we were dating. Our kids were going to follow Jesus. We were going to have a Christian home. That was more important to us. You know, I know you guys watch Sherry flying around and doing all these things. It wasn't like that when my kids were really small. She was the most focused mother in the world. There was hardly room for me to get in there because <laughs> she was focused, man. She, 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 didn't, she didn't work outside the home and, and, uh, really until we got here in, in 88. Uh, she, she, the most important thing in her life, really, the most important thing in Sherry McCutcheon's life, she's not here today, so I can really say this boldly, the most important thing in her life is for her kids to serve the Lord. There's nothing more important to her than that. She feels like a failure if her kids don't serve the Lord. So maybe you can learn from that. Joshua also modeled reason and sensibility. The, the mythical gods that pagans served in those days Read about, read about the mythical gods, the gods of Osiris and Cirrus and I forget the other names of the Egyptian gods and the gods of the, the Palestinians, I mean, not Palestinians, but the Philistines and all, uh, all these groups. I mean, th- th- they're gods. They had gods, but they were really weird. <laughs> I mean, they just would get angry for no reason and destroy people and just all kinds of odd things that these, that these mythical gods did. They just, they just were in confusion all the time. I mean, the, 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 their, their gods would say, sacrifice your babies. And they would, okay, our God, we, we love the, the kids cute, but the gods said, sacrifice them, so here we go. <laughs> and, and God was even shocked at them. If you read Jeremiah 19.5, it says, it, says it says, they sacrificed their children to Baal, a thing that I'd never commanded, God said, and neither did it come to mind. And now I don't know what you do with that theologically and philosophically that things can happen that God never dreamed you would do. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I believe you can get so far out that God just got, says, I could never imagine that someone would do that. <laughs> and so, so that's the gods they serve. And other, but, but the God of Israel... And the God of Christianity is the God of the world, and he is, he is put in the fabric of reality, in the structure of reality, this way of organizing the world according to families. And it's so brilliant. It is so brilliant that you, it's the way your body is organized. Your body is organized into cells, tiny little cells that make up your body and it works pretty good, don't it? You all look pretty great out there today, like it's really working. The cell structure is really working today until it's time for God to take you home, and then the cell structure starts breaking down. It's, it's brilliant. It's just absolutely brilliant that God has organized us into families. And, and he, he, so here's, here's the thing about the family. And as you know, I'm no communist. 
<laughs> that sounded stupid, did I? I'm not a communist. I am not a crook. <laughs> but communism actually, in small doses, is, is actually not a bad thing. Families should be rather totalitarian. You get getting really quiet in here. A family is, should be rather totalitarian. I mean, come on now. You have these little, little beings born into your family. Do you really want to have a democracy? Do, do, do you really think it's going to work if you, if you have a democracy about the diet and the, the menu? You, you'll, be eating, you'll be eating bonbons and ice cream three times a day. Right? I mean, you'll be living at Disney World. <laughs> God designed, see, God designed an, authori- an authority structure, maybe even, maybe we could even use for authoritarian structure, but not for a nation, because it's too big. You, you have to do too many awful things to, to have an authoritarian government for more than seven or eight or nine or ten people. But when you have seven or nine people, it's the best way to form our values is to have mom and dad who say we're the authority and what we say goes. You don't like that? Amen. <laughs> so, Joshua, as for me and my house, I'm a dictator in my house. We're going to serve the Lord. I'm a holy, benevolent dictator. And <laughs> not me, Joshua. So the family unit is the only social structure that can actually work. The family unit also is, describes the relationship with God, with humanity. But to all him who received him, the Bible says in John 1.12, to them gave he power, right to become the clients of God, the customers of God. No, the children of God. Isn't that cool? Whoever does God's will, Jesus said, is my brother and my sister and my mother. No question. God's favorite metaphor for you is you're his family. And that's pretty awesome. Somebody should say amen to that. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, for, the reason, for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. So God sending his only begotten son to the cross to die for the sins of humanity is the ultimate in modeling a parent's personal responsibility. God, we messed up, and God said, I'm responsible. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that cool? That we messed up, we sinned, we blew it, and God said, those are my kids, so I'm responsible. I'm going to send my son to die on the cross and restore them back because those are my kids and whatever my kids do, I take responsibility for it. Man, that is, that's good preaching even if I do say so myself. The family unit reflects God's transcendent and eternal order. From the Garden of Eden to the Garden of Gethsemane. God said, I take responsibility for my kids. The church has its role. We're we're talking about that in a minute. The church has its place. Youth pastor, pastors, 
We have our place. And you need to include us. You're wise if you include us. And you're unwise if you exclude us. It's your business, of course. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. You can, you can, serve, you can serve Osiris if you want to. I, I'm getting ahead of myself. The principle, the second principle of a foundation is the principle of God's supremacy. We will serve the Lord. 2 Kings 18.21, we see a replay of this statement. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. See, it's one thing to listen to culture, and we should. It's one thing to consider culture maybe getting something right that the church is getting wrong at times. But it's quite another thing to remove. Listen, please listen carefully. It's quite another thing to remove your foundation for logic, reason, belief, and conviction from being grounded in God's word and biblical principles to... This, what I see as a disturbing trend that I see, and I plead with you to come back from that trend of using some other uh, plausibility structure for your logic and beliefs and convictions and moral virtues other than the Word of God. And, oh, culture change, we have to change. No, no, no. The culture needs us. They need us to be differentiated. They need that. They really do. The culture needs a, a group of people who will remain differentiated. Where are they going to go if we don't stay on the solid rock of the words of Christ and the words of God? Where are they going to go for sanity when the, the world is becoming, in many, many respects, a, silent, an, a, a sea of insanity? There, there, needs to be a, there needs to be an island of sanity in the midst of it, and that's what God is calling us to. Amen? It's one thing to listen to culture, like I said. And sometimes, you know, I've said this in a few weeks ago, sometimes culture gets it right, and we need to be always listening and not stubborn and, and, and willing to say, hey, they're, they're giving me some structures I need to listen to. But let me tell you something about, about, what, uh, about raising children with dual authorities. Children can't handle it. Children can't handle when you say, we're going to serve... We're going to serve God, and, but we're going to serve this other thing. When you create equal authorities, you are creating a dilemma for your child that they cannot handle. Jesus said it this way, no man can serve two masters, Matthew 6.24. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Uh, uh, Timothy Keller asserts that cultural idols are almost impossible to identify. He says this, any dominant culture... Hope that is not God himself is counterfeit God, a counterfeit God. When we are completely immersed in a society of people who consider a particular idolatrous attachment normal, it becomes almost impossible to discern it for what it is. So this is very difficult to realize that sometimes we're, 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 we're posing two equal authorities for our children. It's critical that you understand that only God through Scripture and Jesus, only God through Scripture and Jesus can define reality. But you will know the truth. The word truth is best defined and best translated reality. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The word truth in, in Greek is aletheia and it means the unconcealed. It means the obvious. 
its application would, would be really so when Jesus says, I'm the truth, he is saying, I am reality. Now, now I, want to, I want to share a real brief anecdote, and I want you to understand, please, please understand, that we are to remain loving and kind and compassionate and big-hearted and not panic about the changes in our culture. But this, this illustration, this little anecdote I'm about to share, just tells you what happens when we leave God's plan and, and, and define reality by all the changes that happen around us. Uh, a, a, a friend of mine, uh, in fact, she was the first woman to ever, ever attend uh, Providence College. Uh, incredible woman. She has a granddaughter, and, and, she, and she was sharing the other day, her granddaughter was dressed up in a, 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 a pretty little baby blue dress, I think, and, and bows in her hair. And her parent took her into a store, and a person walks over to them and looks it down at the little girl and says, your person is so cute. Your little person is so cute. That's a change in how we define reality. As believers in Christ and, and, and people who serve God, we must define reality by the word of God. It's not that we're prejudiced or biased. or anything. If I'm biased, it's I'm biased toward God. Amen. I'm biased toward the scripture. I'm biased toward the word of God. Uh, by the way, the family is, the, is God's resistance cell that preserves humanity when earthly government or culture disintegrates. It's hard to get inside every family and tell them what to think and what to believe. That's, the, that's your secret power. Your secret power. Your secret power is it's very hard for that to be taken away from you. So don't give it up voluntarily. Amen. I said don't give it up voluntarily. <laughs> nice golf clap. <laughs> and let me tell you something about when you, when, you raise, when you raise a child to believe that God is the ultimate authority, you will not raise a child that hates the culture and hates the world outside. In fact, you will raise a child who genuinely loves the world outside and genuinely cares. God said a principle that you will miss if you don't read the Word of God is when you, when you, when you, when you, when you set up two equal authorities, you force the child to hate one. And if they have, because they're going to be exposed to the culture around, they're probably going to end up hating God. They're probably going to end up hating the church. They're probably going to end up hating, hating the people at the church. Unless you teach them there's only one authority in our life, and it's God. Amen? Amen. See, a bonus of serving one master is you don't hate the other master. You don't hate them. You love them. By the way, a lot of politically conservative Christians' way of serving the world is an overemphasis on the American dream. And... By the way, serving God doesn't cause you to hate the American dream at all. Listen to this description of Brian Fickert's new book, Becoming Whole. He said, we are the richest people ever to walk the face of the earth, but according to research, we aren't much happier. We aren't becoming happier. Families and communities are increasingly fragmented. Loneliness is skyrocketing, and physical and mental health are on the decline. Our unprecedented wealth doesn't seem to be doing us much good. Yet when we try to help poor people or at home or abroad, our implicit assumption is that the goal is to help them there to become like us. 
If they would just do things our way, they'd be fine. But even when they seem to pursue our path, they too find that the American dream doesn't work for them. What if we have the wrong idea altogether? What if the goal isn't to turn other countries into the United States or turn America's impoverished communities into affluent suburbs? In becoming whole, Brian Fickert and Kelly Capick in their book, Becoming Whole, Look at the true sources of brokenness and poverty. Uncover the surprising pathways to human flourishing for poor and non-poor alike. Exposing the misconceptions of Western civilization and the Western church about the nature of God, human beings, and the world, they redefine success and other new ways of achieving that outcome. That's good stuff. So, you want emotionally, spiritually stable kids? Go home today and announce, we will serve the Lord. (laughs) Finally, I will close with this principle, and I don't have much time to spend on it, so I I apologize for that because there can be some misunderstandings about this one because we've all seen the abuse of authority everywhere, including the church. But I have to give it to you because it's it's a critical part of your foundation, and that is the principle of honoring spiritual authority. Watchman Nee said only those who are subject to authority can be authority. Tony Evans said, kingdom authority is a divinely authorized right and responsibility that's been delegated to believers to act on God's behalf in spiritually ruling over his creation underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ. Notice what the first thing to be said of spiritual authority is a truly godly leader will never demand that you obey him or her. They rarely will make shepherding conditional. There's only been two or three times in 40-something years of ministry that I've had to tell someone, I can't be your shepherd. Joshua says, I'm not your spiritual dictator. If you don't want to serve the Lord, you don't have to. But here's what I'm going to do. If serving the Lord seems undesirable, you then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Furthermore, Truly godly leaders will walk the walk and invite you, not order you, but invite you to follow. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He was saying what Paul would say in the New Testament, follow me as I follow Christ. Authority is not the same as authoritarianism. Think about, the Bible says, elders who sin are to be rebuked before all. Authoritarianism is authority without accountability. You are free to disrespect the church. You're free to disrespect my authority or anyone else's, but you will pay up for it in the rebelliousness of your children. I'm telling you. It's just a principle. I didn't make it up. I wish I could tell you that wasn't true because it sounds like I am trying to pump my own authority. But I'm telling you, I've watched it for 40-something years. People who disrespect the authority of the church and think they're going to raise children who respect authority are out to lunch. Accountability for whether you honor your spiritual authority lies between you and God, but you sabotage your own authority when you don't do it. When you say, obey me, follow me, but I will be rebellious toward the church and the leaders of the church. Hebrews 13, 17 says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account to God. Do this so their work will be a joy and not a burden. For that would be of no benefit to you, he says. 
There's a carnal tendency to want to consume leaders' gifts but dismiss their authority. We want to consume, if, if, if they are a good preacher, we want to consume their preaching. If they are an attentive shepherd, we want to, con- we want to consume their attentiveness. We want to consume... That we're con- and there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. If, if, I were, if I were out there today looking for a church to go to, I would try to find a church that I like to consume what they were producing. I would, I would try to find a church where I like the music. I would try to find a church where I thought the pre- preaching was interesting. I, I would try to find a church where the seats were soft. I, <laughs> I, I would try to find a church where they had good programs for my kids. There's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. There's nothing God made you to be a God made you to consume the blessings of life. But don't just be a consumer of the church. You are short you're actually you're actually agreeing to a really bad bargain when you go I'm going to go to that church but I'm only going to be a consumer. I'm not going to see the church as a source of direction and wisdom for my life. I'm also going to be a follower of Christ and realize that some of Christ's authority in my life, some, not all, some of Christ's authority in my life will be delegated. Can I say that again? Not all, but some of the authority that God and Jesus have in my life, he will delegate. No applause, so I guess <laughs> I, I'm, just, I'm just kidding you guys. You're, you're, you're a wonderful congregation. So if you're always resisting church authority, though, always critical of church authority, always communicating to your kids that you don't agree with this and you don't agree with that and you disregard what the leaders say, you're shooting yourself in the foot and you're dismissing the greatest ally in raising your kids. Kids naturally rebel when they are stuck with cognitive dissonance. And, and if, if you, say, you say, honor my authority, but you don't honor yours, you put, them, you put your kids in a very difficult position. Conclusion. My goal and our emphasis on the family is to reestablish an exciting partnership between the church and the family. That's my goal. When Jesus came to earth as the incarnate Son of God, he didn't overthrow or replace the institutions of governance and family. He established, though, his Father's kingdom to grow up beside them. Right? Only at the end of of all time will the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Lord and His Christ. Right now, the kingdom of God grows up beside the family structure, behind the government structure. We are called to have commerce, civil government, and family to the glory of God. The kingdom of heaven isn't here in full yet. The kingdom of heaven isn't here to replace the kingdom of earth, but to enhance its purpose. By God's grace, I will raise my children and influence my grandchildren for the glory of God. In keeping, in keeping with Psalms 127.3, which says, children are a gift from the Lord. They are reward from Him. By the way, by the way, it's never too late to start parenting to the glory of God. You know, in... 
in fields, in areas of life where we're convinced of absolute truth, we love authority. I mean, imagine, think about Boeing, think about aerospace engineering, if there, if there wasn't a demand for authority. Do you want to go on a Boeing if you, the culture at Boeing, they, you know, they have their conferences. We just, we just want you to be yourself. We just want you to go with your intuition. Do what feels good to you when you're building that airplane. Is that what you, would you get on that airplane? We believe in authority when where we believe in absolute truth. And if you believe that the Bible is God's word, that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the price for your sin and your children's sin and your grandchildren's sin, and you believe that he is the only way to the Father, then of course we love authority because it's the, it's the only way. Isn't that right? So it's, we, we do believe in authority anywhere that you go. If you go into a hospital that's running well, if you go into a beautiful building that is well-designed, you go drive across a bridge that is solid and is going to last for hundreds of years, you better believe there was somebody in charge and that there were principles, factual principles, that were the foundation of causing that to work. And can there be people in there who are sinful people who don't behave the right way? Of course always in the church, on the job site, anywhere that you go. But where the, the principles of what is factually true, that's what we have to build our life on. And across this room, we're going to stand. And I think there's two questions here we're going to pray about. We're going to pray and ask, number one, have I actually personally come to the conclusion that God's word is the foundation for my life, that I am a Christ follower as an individual person? Have I really made that decision? Do I really believe that Jesus is the way to the Father and the way to the forgiveness of my sins? Do I really believe it? And then number two, if I believe that, have I made a commitment and a, and a decision that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord? If you're a parent, if you are a person who, you, for you and your spouse, do you believe that this is absolute truth that you should apply to any, anybody that's under your authority? So let's bow our heads across this room, and number one, we're going to pray and ask the Lord that he would ask, tell the Lord ourselves that we commit to following him. God, across this room, there's people who have sinned and fallen short of your glory, every single one of us. But those of us that are here that have met you, have seen you face to face, have seen your goodness, that the Holy Spirit has come and convinced us that you are God and we are not, that your word is true, that your principles are the foundation for reality for our life. God, we, we commit our lives to you. Maybe some of us in this room, we recommit our lives to you and we want to serve you and make you the authority and the God of our life. And then number two, those of us in this room that are authority, human authority, God, we commit to believing that serving you is best for those people under us as well. It's not just personal, private. It's not just for me. And God, we repent of making idols of things in this world. We put you on the throne of our heart, on the throne of our lives, and you are the absolute, ultimate, end-all, be-all. You're the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. God, I pray for parents and grandparents in this room that you would give them courage and wisdom and mercy and love. And God, make us like you. You are the ultimate father. Make me like you as a parent. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.